0: Well, we're looking at a message today entitled Living by the Word, Living by the Word, James chapter 1, uh, verse 19 through 27 is where we're going to be. We started just a couple weeks ago uh, a series entitled Faith That Works, Faith That Works, and that's going to be the theme throughout our study of these five chapters of the book of James, and, um, and so today we're looking at uh, how you and I live by the Word of God. All right. Now, have you guys ever heard of someone auditing a class? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that term before, auditing a class. Uh, So this is something that is uh, more prevalent in colleges. Uh, Kind of interesting, you can actually do this in most colleges. Let's say, you know, you were never able to make it into UCLA, but you just wanted to take this class that they had on physics, well, you don't. You you know you weren't, You weren't able to get into the program. You can't pay for the insane tuition prices. But you want to audit the class. So basically, you you uh, go in. You're not a student in the class. You still enroll. You pay uh, a very partial amount of what the 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 cost would be. It's reduced tuition, and then you attend the classes. The difference, though, is that you attend the classes. You listen. But you don't, as an auditing uh, student in the class, you don't take tests, you don't turn in papers, you don't complete assignments. Now, for some of you, you're like, sign me up. That sounds great. Now, the problem with this is that you don't get any credit for it. Like, there's no benefit for the person other than like the, the personal knowledge that is being gained. But it's like you're in the class, but not in the class. And so you might say, well, what's, what's the point? Uh, to which I would say, exactly. Yet how often... Can we come to church and hear God's word, but never actually put it into practice? I wonder if any of us can be guilty of auditing church. You know, you're present, uh, but you're not actually a student. Because a student who has enrolled in a college-type class, they're going to be turning in tests. They're going to be taking what they learned and 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 turning in homework and and listening for the purpose of doing. You see, and 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 someone who is auditing a class, they're only listen listening to gain the knowledge, but there's nothing produced in that person, right? And we cannot be people who simply audit church, where you you might come in and you're listening, but then you go out and. You know, you're not not affected by it. And so today, we're gonna be talking about how we can make sure that we are not just hearing God's word, but that we become students of God's word for the purpose of it being lived out in our life. Now, last week, Tate talked about the temptation and the goodness of God. You guys remember uh, Tate, he talked about how, you know, the, the origin of temptation, how it's supposed to come, it's not, it doesn't come from God, but it comes from even our inward desires, right? He talked about Finding Nemo and his dog Willow and, and all those great illustrations that helped us understand that we don't have to give in to temptation. Uh, but he also was really clear on that temptation is not something that comes from God. So when we pray to God for him to take away the temptation, God says, I never put it there in the first place. A better prayer to pray is, God, would you help me and give me strength to fight this temptation and take the way of escape? But the temptations we experience in our life, they're not from God. And we need to understand that. But in contrast, Tate talked about how the goodness of God, that is from God. Any good thing we have in our life. Hopefully you have your Bibles open to James chapter one. If you look there, one verse that he lightly touched on was verse 17 of James chapter one. And it says every good and every perfect gift is from God. Meaning I want you to think about anything good in your life. That could be the sweatshirt that's on your back, that could be the bed that you have at home. You're like, my parents bought me that bed. Yeah, but if it wasn't for the Lord supplying your parents with even the ability to work and creating cotton in the first place, people weren't able to make that. And You, you, see, you could take anything good and trace it back. Who's the origin? The origin is God. Every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. And so we, we looked at that contrast last week. Our temptations, not from God, but everything good is from God. And then he concluded with verse 18, which speaks about how God has saved us, brought us forth by the word of truth. Everyone say word of truth. These three words is what we're going to be talking about today. The word of truth. James goes on to finish chapter one. Look at verse 18 and look for those three words, word of truth. He goes on to explain and expound upon the word of truth. And this is not a concept that is foreign to other parts of scripture. Notice Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 says, in him you also trusted after you heard the what? The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and whom also having believed, You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You can note down in your note-taking that the word of truth is the means by which any of us have been saved. It is the vehicle that any of us have been saved by. That without the word of truth, we wouldn't be saved. Because the word of truth is what God uses in our life to bring us to the understanding of salvation. Those three words are very important for us to understand. The word of truth, which is ultimately what we have in front of us. This is the word of truth. That everything contained in this book is not just the word of truth, it is God's word of truth. Moses tells the children of Israel the purpose for 40 years of their wandering. Do you guys remember how Israel wandered for 40 years? Well, there's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where he tells them the purpose by which... If God told you, I want you to walk around for 40 years in a desert, wouldn't you want to know why? Well, he tells them. He says, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, bread from heaven, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that the man shall not, that man shall not live by bread alone. But man, notice... Man or woman lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You see, we don't just live by the in and out we eat and the bread we eat. Yeah, our physical bodies might live that way. I mean, if you eat too much of in and out, then you might not live very long. But we don't just live by food. But to, to be spiritually alive and really live the, the life that God wants us to live, it has to be by the word of God. And we have to feast upon the word of God, but not just hearing it, but implementing it into our life. Listen, if you go throughout your life only auditing church, you come and you listen. You were really listening. But then after that church service, there was no thought of what you learned of what God spoke to you, then there's gonna be no spiritual benefit. You're not living off of it. It's like going to a grand buffet and just looking at the food and not actually putting it on your plate. That'd be miserable. Imagine going to your favorite restaurant and all your family's ordering it and they're digging in and you order and it's there, but you're not eating. It'd be terrible. But yet that's what we can do with, with our Church attendance with maybe even our Bible reading, there has to come a point where it transfers from our head down to our heart into our life. And so, today we will answer the question of how do we live by the Word of God. So, let's read James chapter 1, verse 19, and we'll read down to verse 27. Okay, so why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We, remember, we do this out of reverence and respect. The fact that what we're reading is not a religious book, it is not a textbook, it is God's book. Verse 19 of James chapter 1. says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. "'which is able to save your souls. "'But be doers of the word, "'and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. "'For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, "'he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. "'For he observes himself, goes away, "'and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. "'But he he who looks into the perfect law of liberty "'and continues in it, "'and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, "'this one will be blessed in what he does.' If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We pray that you would teach us today. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Now, Within the last 10 verses of chapter 1, there are two themes that are threaded throughout the the passage, and the first one I want to mention to you is this idea of the word, right? We just talked about the word of truth, and I want you to see, you can look up here and also reference your own Bibles, that there is this theme within four verses that talk about the word, and so that's why we're talking about today the word. Verse 18, that's where Tate left off, word of truth. Verse 21, the implanted word. The, verse 22, doers of the word. 20, uh, verse 25, the perfect law of liberty is a reference to the word of God. And these are the things that when you read your own Bible, one of the things that you wanna look for is there, is there anything repeated? Let's say you go home and you read a chapter of the Bible and you say, man, I'm, I wanna start getting the Bible into my life. If you see something that is repeated, Note it down, because it's probably a theme that the Lord is trying to communicate through the author. And so we see four different times there. Uh, I would encourage you, don't don't necessarily write all that down. Just write the verse references, okay? Verse 18, 21, 22, 25. The whole point of this slide is to show you that the word is the theme in what we just read, okay? Does that make sense? Now, the other theme, because I told you there was two, The other theme is deception, and specifically self-deception, okay? Check out these three verses, verse 16, verse 22, and verse 26. Also, all talk about deception. Do not be deceived. Deceiving yourselves deceives his own heart. You see, these two themes are intertwined. Whenever the word of God is involved, deception is a possibility, whether that deception comes from an outside source of twisting the word into something it doesn't mean, or an inward source. You see, we, we are sinful, and sometimes we can come to God's word and twist it uh, in our own way, in our, in our own manner. And so these are the two themes of what we're looking at today. The word of God and the warning, the danger of do not be deceived, of deceiving yourselves, deceives his own art. Notice the self-deception, okay? So I want you to keep those two themes in mind as we march through this. Sounds good? All right. The first thing that we're looking at today in verses 19 through 21, as we kind of break up the passage that we just read, is that we are to have the right response to the word of truth that changes our life. Uh, It's at this point that James kind of moves on, right? Last week, he talked about temptation and the goodness of God, but now he kind of transitions into the action part of it. And since the word of God has changed your life, has brought salvation to your souls because every good thing is from God, that this should be the right response. Notice in verse 19, he says, so then, so then. This is the idea uh, that he's saying, know this. He says, you need to understand this. So then, you can note down, it is a conjunction. And know this is not English class, but we need to know what a conjunction is. A conjunction is something that connects two sentences or clauses together. And so then is a conjunction that connects what we had learned about last week to what we're going to learn about this week. And what is James connecting? He's connecting that previous process of thought of of how he ended with by the word of truth. And so what we find in verses 19 through 21 is the what to do in light of what we know. You see, what Tate talked about last week was a whole lot of what we need to know. We need to know where the origin of temptation comes from. When we experience good things, who does that come from? It comes from God. And so now we are looking at the what to do in light of what we know. And James gives us here three targets to aim at. You guys ever uh, shot bow and arrow before? It's very fun. Uh, and, uh, but it's usually only fun if you have a target, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of fun if there's just like a hay bale but usually it's only fun as you're targeting something, right? You're trying to aim. And so James gives us three things to aim at in response to the word of truth. And you can note down the first one. It is that we are to be swift to hear, swift to hear. That word swift, it means quick. It means to be performed with no delay, no delay. No no delay, it means to be prompt. And, And to hear, it doesn't just mean for it to go into your ears, but it means to listen with intention. You know how your mom could say something to you and you're not listening at all? And she asks you, are you listening? She's not asking, is it going into your eardrum? She knows it's going into your eardrum. What she's asking is, are you paying attention? And so this word to hear, it doesn't just mean the physical act of hearing, but it means the, 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 uh, the physical act along with the uh, act with our brain of intentionally listening. You know, your mom may use this exact verse on you. I'm sure that uh, many of you have heard the Bible says to be swift to hear and slow to speak. And, um, but in the direct context, this has to do with the word of truth. Now, are we to be swift to hear in other contexts? Yeah, that's a good practice to have. That's a biblical concept for sure. But this is specifically talking about the, the, the word of God, the word of truth. We are to have the type of attentiveness uh, that little boy Samuel had. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10 says, Now the Lord came and stood and called at, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, and said, "Speak for your servant hears." You see, this was a, a circumstance before the entire canon of Scripture was written, and God spoke to different prophets. and Samuel was a prophet. and even as a boy, God began speaking to him audibly. And notice Samuel's response. He says, "Speak for your servant hears." That is the attitude. That when we approach the word of God in any situation, in any scenario, that's why we stand out of attentiveness. Because sometimes if you're sitting, you're not able to pay attention as much. And the standing, it's like, okay, I'm giving my my most attention to when we read the word of God. And we're to have that, that mindset. And this is something that's a continuous command. Not listening just once. But always being ready to hear what God might speak to us. Now, along that same vein, the second target to <coughs> excuse me, to aim for is that we are to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. I think ancient rabbis said it best. This is the reason why we have two ears and only one mouth. I'm sure each and every one of you have heard that from mom and dad, that we may hear more and speak less. Now, you, you guys have heard that, right? Well, check out this other one. The ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and keep it within its proper balance. Even within how God has designed us to be, he has given us two ears that you we, you can't close, right? You could try not to pay attention. And and when we approach God's word, before we we speak God's word and, and come to conclusions, we're to be slow to speak. And this is this is good just in general. That that we should take this practice of being swift to hear and slow to speak. This is what God would want for you and I. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19. Says in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Remember, in light of thinking about temptation and God's goodness and the word of truth, we ought to be slow to speak. It'll help us a whole lot. When it comes to life in general and living for the Lord, I'm telling you, Proverbs talks about this over and over again, that if you you know we all experience where our words get us into trouble if we would just take a, a, a little bit longer, a little bit slower to speak. But also when it comes to God's word, that we allow, before we say what God has said, we listen to what God has said. Now, the third thing to aim for is that we're to be slow to wrath. And we, again, find this all in verse 19. We're to be slow to wrath. And the idea of wrath is that feeling of intense anger and fury. Notice though, James doesn't say that we are to have an absence of wrath, but that we are to watch the pace of our wrath, that we are to be slow in this. You see, the wrath of man is often quick-tempered. It's easily set off. There's a short fuse. Scripture tells us that It's not that we aren't to have wrath, but that we are to give place to our wrath, which is to give it to the Lord. You know that we can be angry. It is possible to be angry and not sin. Anger, listen, is not a sin according to Scripture. But oftentimes the action that comes as a result of our anger then gets us into sin. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 tells us He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. But he who is impulsive exalts folly. That idea of impulsiveness. Something happens and be, you know, before anything, we, we just are, are set off. God says that these are the three things that we are to aim at. And I have found that if we can aim for the first two, if we can be quick to hear what God would say to us and, and what God's word maybe says to us regarding even, even wrath, that, that, hey, he's not saying you can't experience it. It's an emotion. But that emotion has to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That we got to be slow to wrath and not so impulsive. And not, right, that word folly, you know what that means? It means to be a fool. Don't be a fool. Don't go off so quickly. But if we can get good at allowing God to, to, to have the first place of, of speaking into our lives. And we can just be slow to speak, slow to to jump to conclusions in the Word of God and allow him to speak to us. And then the third one, being slow to anger, slow to wrath, it's not going to be so difficult. See, the Bible says that God is slow to anger, did you know? God is not in heaven, and when something happens, he doesn't just go off and you know, and his and he twitches because he's so angry, and that's what makes a lightning bolt come out of the sky. No, that's not what happens. God is slow to anger. And because God is slow to anger, you and I, who are his creatures, new creations, we ought to be slow to anger. See, someone who is quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger will be teachable and open to growing in the things of God and in the word of truth. And so it's in... Verse 19, where we see the target, this is to be our response, but he also gives the reason. Why why does he lay out these things? Well, notice, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, the goal isn't about the wrath. That's not the point. That's the target to aim at so that we are able to produce in our life the righteousness of God or The way that God wants us to live. Righteousness is this big Bible word, right? But it just means to be right with God. It's to live in a right way. Think about, you know, you guys, I think, can understand that, the right response, right? You guys knew what I was talking about. And you and I, in order for us to live the right or righteous life, then those three targets we must aim for. When it says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, Another way that you could think about it, that word produce, it means to accomplish or achieve. Your anger and wrath isn't gonna produce God's right way of living. Think about it this way an empty gas tank doesn't produce a long road trip. You guys hear me? Some of you are like, huh? An empty gas tank doesn't produce a long road trip. Why? Because in order to produce a long road trip, you gotta have gas in the tank. And in order to produce the righteousness of God in your life, the way that he wants you to live, the right response that you are to have, then you have to be swift to hear, open to the things of God, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And so if the the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, then what does produce the righteousness of God? Let's say you say, man, I want to live in that righteous or right way. I know God's way is the right way and I wanna live in the way that he's given. What, what do I do? How is this produced in my life? Well, there's kind of an expansion of what we just talked about uh, there in verse 21. And, and you kind of can sum it up sum it up in this way. If you want to produce the righteousness of God in your life, living in the right way that he set out, then there's some things that you got to put down and there's some things that you got to pick up. There he says in verse 21, that we're to lay aside. That word means to take off and to put away. It's how you would be if, if your jacket caught on fire. You would, you would rip that jacket off so quick and throw it to the side Because you want to want that fire to burn you. And there are some things in life that we must put off or lay aside. Notice in verse 21 how he describes it. He says we're to lay off the filthiness or overflow of wickedness. This idea of of those things that displease God. We are to lay them aside. But not only just is this focus on laying them aside, but we are to pick up. Notice what he says, receive. To receive, it means to accept and welcome. We receive with meekness, and now we find that second time of the word, the implanted word. That word implanted is the idea of something being planted, like like the parable of the sower. Do you guys know about the parable of the sower that Jesus said, taught? He said a sower goes to sow seed, or a farmer goes to to throw seed uh, to be able to produce a crop. And he says that some of that seed falls on stony ground or thorny ground. Some of it falls on good soil. And that is a representation of how the word of God goes and is thrown on different hearts, different different kinds of soil. And some of it is received. And if that good seed, if the word of God is able to get on good soil, then we see that it is able to save our soul. Notice there in verse 21, He says that implanted word which is able to save your soul. You see, if you can have the right response to the word of God, then your soul will be saved. Yet in this kind of right response, we are to act upon what we hear. There is a warning that comes our way because there's a certain danger in hearing the word of God. And it's kind of, Kind of interesting. Did you know that for you right now there is a danger in you hearing this Bible study? Well, what, what's going to happen? Are there going to be arrows that come out from the walls? No. It's not danger to you to your physical person now. Your chair's not going to collapse. But there's a danger because if you listen with no intention of doing. The danger is that you are going to be self-deceived. We read it a moment ago, but look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. First, this shows us that you could hear the word of God and not do it. That is an option. Option number one, hear the word, don't do the word. Option number two, hear the word and then do the word. Either way, you got to hear it. But the difference is whether you do it or not. And notice what it says. Deceiving yourselves. That God's word isn't something just to be listened to or knowledge to be gained, but it is something we're to put into action. You see, a hearer only is deceived. But it isn't anyone else that's involved in deceiving them. It's not the fact that someone is teaching the word of God wrong in this instance. It's self-deception. And I want you to note down that self-deception is the scariest kind of deception. It's the scariest kind. Have you guys ever experienced someone who is self-deceived? It's, it can be oftentimes comical, because they believe something about themselves that is obviously not true. You guys ever watched American Idol before? I remember the, you know, it's not as good as it once was, but I'm telling you back in its heyday, American Idol was a fantastic show. It was great. The judges were awesome. Now they've, you know, they've kind of messed it up. It's still kind of funny. But when it first kind of came out, and you still see this, have you you guys know what American Idol is? Raise your hand. Okay, I was getting freaked out. I was like, am I dating myself right now? And I just remember the reason I liked American Idol, I mean, I I like music, but I wasn't into like, you know, ooh, who's gonna be the best singer. I usually would watch only the tryout part because it was hilarious. Because these people would come and they had absolute confidence that they were gonna get that gold ticket, that they were gonna make it to Hollywood, that they were going to win American Idol, and they were terrible. They were like beyond terrible. It, it actually hurt to hear them. It, it, it was so bad that it became funny that you're listening to them, and it was funny because they, they really thought they were good. And, and, you, and you, you know sometimes they would ask them or they would have interviews with their family after, you know, and sometimes you would see their family members lying to them. They'd be like, man, they're good. We're excited for them to get the ticket. We've been watching them and you'd hear them. And then you know, man, your family's lying to you. But the worst part was when there would be someone who had no family with him and he was there and he was just self-deceived. And it sometimes was sad because after, you know, the judges would almost laugh at them and be like, are you serious? They'd walk out with no ticket and they'd be crying, and it was almost sad. You're like, oh my God. They were so deceived that they were actually good at singing, and it was so far from the truth. And yet, I think within church, sometimes that same concept can be of, okay, yeah, you're in church, but look at your life. You're you're not walking according to the word of God. Yeah, you might punch the time the time card of you were there for an hour and a half for church. But what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? But people can live their. I've met people who have attended this church for 10 year periods where they were in church every Sunday hearing not my sermon, Pastor Jack's sermon. And his sermons are pretty hard to get through without getting saved. And for 10 years, hearing the word of God, going through their life, living not the word of God not producing the righteousness of God. And then they'd come to church and do it again for 10 years, hundreds, if not thousands of church service without even knowing God personally. There's a danger to hearing the word of God because the more you hear it and don't do it, you are deceiving yourself. The word is literally delusional. The more you hear it, the more Bible studies you hear and don't do the dangers it becomes for you because your heart after a while hardens. You get used to hearing it and not doing it. And so it's like, I just come to church. I hear what the pastor says. I go home and it doesn't change. I don't put it into action or even in our devotional lives. It can happen where it's like, I read my devotion. I checked off the box, but it had no effect on the rest of your day. We must not be hearers only. Because we will will step into this self-deception. And it's the scariest kind because it's usually the hardest to convince someone out of. The easier deception is when someone else has said, this is what the word of God means or this is how you think. Because then you can come, someone else can come and say, hey, I know that pastor said that, but this is actually what the word of God says. But it's harder when someone is self-deceived because then you come and you show them the Bible and they say, I know, because they've heard it. And there's this disconnect of, I hear what you're saying, but it has no impact on my life. James gives this example of how absurd this is. He gives an example of a mirror, right? He says, it's like going in the mirror, looking at yourself than walking away and forgetting what you look like. Let me me give it to you in this example. You guys woke up this morning. You, I'm sure, went to the bathroom. Well, some of you maybe need to spend a little more time in the mirror. But nonetheless, you were there, right? And you look and you're like, oh, you know, know, sleepy in your eye and burgers hanging out and drool, drool on your face and hair looks like a cockatoo and all kinds of stuff, right? And you're looking at yourself. And so some of you spent some time this morning, right, then maybe stepping away from the mirror, adjusting yourself, or maybe in the mirror, you're like, oh man, okay, yeah, let me get the thing out of my eye. And some of you, you know, maybe could have spent a little more, a little more time, but that's okay. We love you anyway. Um, but, um, but imagine going to the mirror, seeing that you got all this stuff messed up on your face, and then just walking away and forgetting about it. And then someone later has to say like, hey, what's, and you're like, no, I, I looked in the mirror, I'm, I'm fine. It's this idea that that the word of God is a mirror. It's for introspection. It is to be able to look at it. It's perfect, right? That's why the Bible says it is the perfect law of liberty, the word of truth, that the word of God is, is a mirror. That as we come to it in any setting, when we look at it, it simply shows what is there. It doesn't sugarcoat it, that we look at it, it's perfect, and so it shows us how imperfect we are. And so it is this tool that God uses to say, this is the standard. This is the target to aim for. But to only look at it and then walk away and do nothing, it's absurd. It's absurd. You see, the blessing doesn't come in the hearing. We're told there in verse 25, That blessed will be the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and does it. John chapter 13, verse 17 says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's what Jesus told the disciples. He spent a lot of time with them and he was leaving. He says, listen, you've heard a lot of my teachings, but the blessing of God in your life, maybe your Christianity right now is just like black. It's just like dull, flat, boring. It might be because you know a whole lot, but ain't doing a whole lot. Because you're missing out. You don't, you don't get it. And, and you're missing it because you hear God's word, but you're not doing God's word. Right, Matthew chapter seven. That's uh, Jesus ends his sermon on the mount talking about the man who builds his house upon the rock. And the storms come and blows against the house. The house stays still. Do you guys know the story? Then another storm, another guy builds a house, but he builds it on sand. So a storm comes and it just washes his house out. And he says that he compares that both men heard the word, but that the difference with the house that was built upon the rock is that he said that he, he heard the sayings of mine and did them. Listen, your life is gonna be a disaster when trials hit, when difficult times hit, and you're only hearing the word of God because it is only theory. And so when the storm comes and life gets real, your foundation has been built upon theory. It's all up here. It's not in here. It's not in your life. And so there's nothing to fall back on and it crumbles. Why do people walk away from the faith? I don't think it's because they lost their salvation. I think what John tells us that they were with us, they were hearing the things we were hearing, but they never did anything about it. They were never actually saved. And so when life happened, good or bad, their house crumbled. It was never based upon doing what Jesus had said. Mark chapter four, verse 24 and 25 says, then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it'll be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What what is being said? Jesus says, take heed to how you hear. Take heed, meaning that if you were to hear Bible study after Bible study, read the word for yourself day after day, but never do it, God is gonna hold you more accountable than, to the, than the person that never went to church. It would be better, listen, this is a weird thing. It would be better if you were like, I'm gonna listen to Bible studies for the next 10 years of my life, but not do them. It would be better for you not to hear them than to hear them and not do them. Sounds strange. Now God can use that, and I don't mean like okay, I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna go tell your parents I'm gonna stop coming to church. Like I've seen it where someone, you know, like I mentioned, was in this church for ten years and then finally did get saved. God's been using in their life; it's awesome. But that God says that on that judgment day, I'm gonna hold you accountable for everything you heard, and if you heard and did, then I'm gonna give you more. And this is how it works. That if God says, if God sees you doing his word, then he's gonna give greater understanding to you and greater strength to keep going to whom much has been given, much is required. And where this talks about how more will be given. If you use it, God says, I'll give you more and more. And I wanna give you strength to do it, but will you take the first step? James closes out this section talking about the, the trap of religion the trap of religion, because you and I are kind of a people of extremes, okay? We are. We just always tend toward extremes. And though the word of God is imperative in doing the word of God, sometimes we can go so far the other end where we can become do-gooders for the sake of do-gooding, okay? We can become do-gooders for the sake of do-gooding, meaning that To the point where we think, as long as we check the boxes, we are good to go. As long as we, um, you know, do what looks religious, then we're good to go. But it's not just doing good things. It's doing what God tells us to do. And our doing isn't to be in a religious way. And this is where people get caught. They might say, okay, I'm going to do it. And so they do it in a way where it's religious, meaning it's just this uh, system, but we are to do God's word in relationship with him. You see, the quickest way to tell if you are just doing to do is how you speak to people. That's what he says. Look at there in verse 26. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious is useless. Meaning that you could be doing all the right things But one of the quickest and best indicators of if you're doing it with the right heart and in the right way is how you speak to people. He says, if someone is doing all what you could say is the religious stuff, but does not bridle his own tongue, that it's useless. You'd be doing all the right things. But this thing is the prime indicator of how you could say religious you are in your life. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning that there is a danger then in the doing. Wait, I thought you said there's a danger in the hearing. Yeah, but then you can get so into the doing that the doing becomes this repetitive thing. And so the Christian life is all about balance. But one indicator, if you're like, ah, am I doing this just to do it out of this religious obligation is to check how you speak to people. Because what is what comes out of your mouth is evidence. It is the window into what is in your heart. Can I see what's in your heart? I can't, can't see that. God can, God sees the heart. But an indicator for us, we can't even see what's in our own heart. But one good way to indicate Of where we are at if we're just doing the religious duties is how do we speak to people is it harsh is it sarcastic or is it how jesus spoke to people is it with grace is it yes with truth so james kind of ends this verse 27 of what true religion looks like he says pure and undefiled religion looks like visiting and keeping Those are the two things, visiting and keeping. He says, those who visit orphans and widows and keeping oneself unspotted. The idea of this isn't like, oh man, you know, if you're not visiting orphans and widows, it's not good. The idea is those who cannot help themselves. One of the things that we ought to aim for and that should be a description of the Christian is our charity and our purity that we should be willing to help those who cannot help themselves. That should be a chief mark. Spurgeon said, charity and purity are the two great garments of Christianity. And then he says, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That those two things should describe us. So we'll close here with uh, Matthew chapter seven. One of the great warnings of Jesus, probably This is probably, some refer to this as the scariest passage in the Bible, okay? And I think it will give us the balance because I think we hit it pretty hard what it means to hear and do God's word and the danger in being self-deceived. But I think this verse brings great balance that we don't look at our good works as the determination of our salvation, okay? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Essentially, Jesus says that on the day of judgment, when people are before God Almighty, before Jesus himself. They'll they'll say, Lord, Lord. And they know where they are at this point. They know where they're going. They say, Lord, Lord, like, haven't we done this? Haven't we prophesied? We healed? We did all these things in your name. And Jesus will say, I don't know you because you did these things apart from what I asked you to do. And so in this, in this understanding of making sure that we are putting into the practice what we read and doing God's word, we must not get swept up in the the thinking that our do-gooding, our good works, our doing God's word is the thing that we're going to present before Jesus one day. You see, when we get to heaven, we're not going to present anything to him that the reason that we get to enter isn't because of what we've done, but it's because of what Jesus did for us. And so in this Christian walk, it's this strange dynamic of are we to do what God tells us 100% but is that our ticket into heaven? Certainly not. It is out of our foundational understanding that it is by the word of truth and our response to him, that he has saved us by his grace. And out of that flows this life of producing the righteousness of God, the right living with him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would use it in our life. Lord, that we would not just be hearers. We don't wanna live in self-deception we don't want to be delusional. We want to be able to think clearly. And we know that only comes as we determine to do your word. That you've asked us, Lord, we, we have three very simple targets that we could take from today's message. To be swift to hear, to be slow to speak, slow to wrath. God, we pray that even just this week that you would produce those three things in our life when it comes to your word, And Lord, we know that these concepts are good for us to adopt, Lord, into our relationships with others, to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We know that but by your grace in our life, we can't do that. Lord, but we want to. And so we trust your word that you're going to do the willing and the doing in us, that he who has called us is faithful who will also do it. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.